Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to this pre-recorded service here from uh, Calvary Church in Brighton uh, on the 21st of February. Uh, Calvary Church is a small-ish independent church, independent Baptist church on the south coast of England in Brighton. We're on the south coast, just directly south of London. Normally, back, as it were, a year ago now, in normal times, we were a group of 70 or 80 people meeting together on a Sunday morning. But here we are still in lockdown and meeting together by Zoom. By God's help and God's mercy, he's kept us and we are looking to him both for today and for all future days. My name's Philip Wells. I have been working for the church here for many years as a full-time pastor elder. And this morning we're considering, or <laughs> considering, we're continuing our series in the letter to the Hebrews. And if you want to catch up on the past uh, episodes of the series, I think a wonderful link will appear as if by magic on this screen. And it'll show you where the YouTube channel is and you can look back for the previous episodes. So we're going to be looking at that uh, again this morning. And the order of events is up here on the screen, and we'll follow that through. So we've done the welcome and introduction, and in a moment we're going to sing. But let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 3, which is a good introduction to any Christian meeting, and also a good introduction to the song we're going to sing. This is the Apostle Paul, one of the first Christian missionaries, one of the people commissioned by Jesus Christ to speak the gospel into our world. And he speaks about himself and uh, his fellow apostles. And he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So they believed uh, as the apostle had believed, and they had the same blessings as the apostle. Chosen, predestined, redeemed, forgiven, all these things to the praise of his glory. 
And that's what this song says, come praise and glorify our God to the praise of his glory. So let's sing this. So having sung to the praise of his glory, let's pray to the praise of his glory and let's do what we've become accustomed to doing when I've uh, led in prayer, that we should say the Lord's Prayer together, which is on the screen by my head here. So let us pray. We come in praise to God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God who is before all ages uh, the Alpha and the Omega, uh, the beginning and the end, the glorious creator, the maker of heaven and earth and all that's within, and the maker of people, 
even people like us and the Redeemer of people like us. We praise you for your purposes to redeem sinners from their sin and lostness and bring them to be with you uh, restored in glory uh, in time to come. We thank you for your love for your church. We thank you for this choosing of people, not because they've impressed you, because we've done nothing but offend you, and not because we're particularly clever or particularly beautiful or particularly wise or particularly strong or particularly wealthy, but you just chose us because it pleased you to choose us. And we thank you for that deep mystery that you chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. We thank you that all this takes place in Jesus Christ and you have been pleased to work through him, to save through him, to redeem through him, to heal through him and to bring all things to their appointed conclusion in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for making him the whole uh, focus and source of our salvation and indeed of our very life. We thank you for Jesus Christ and all that he did, particularly for his death upon the cross and his resurrection and ascension. And we think of that awful death in which things were terminated, in which things were finished and dealt with through death. And as we come to you, we ask that our old lives, our old selves, our old motivations might be put to death there at the cross, as it were. And we pray that our lives might be energised and motivated and derived from the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, that we might be found to be risen with him and living from the power of his resurrection. We pray that his new life might be at work within us, powerfully by the Holy Spirit. We lament the fact that uh, even as the Spirit of Christ dwells within us, so too sin still dwells within us, and this vexes us very, very much. And we look forward to the day when there will be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more sighing, and all will be well in that day when you make all things new. So we look up to you, Lord, with gratitude. We lift our hearts to you in praise and thanksgiving. And as you have brought us into your kingdom, we pray that your kingdom will be extended. We pray that your glory will be more widely known. We pray that you will be seen to be great and greatly to be praised. And we pray that in our world. We pray that for our nation and our nations. We pray that in our town, in our city. We pray that in our homes. We pray that in our own hearts and lives. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And even as we say that, we come to pray that prayer. We pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Well, now we're going to have a reading from Genesis chapter 22. Thank you, Christopher, for reading this to us. This passage is quoted in the Hebrew section that we're going to look at. And this passage is a remarkable incident in the life of Abraham, who was a, a man chosen by God and who learnt to follow God in faith, not knowing where he was going to, but trusting that God would lead him. And in this particular incident, God tells him to trust him in the matter of taking his son to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. And Abraham says, OK, I'll go along with that. But in the end, God intervenes, as we shall hear, and says, no, um, we won't have a human sacrifice. That comes much later. And rather disappointingly, we'll go back and have an animal sacrifice. But one day, one day, one day. But for the time being, uh, there's an animal sacrifice. And as you uh, will hear, this ends up with God making a huge promise to Abraham and securing it by making an oath. So enough from me. Thank you, Christopher, for reading Genesis 22, verses 1 to 18. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, 
On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Thank you for that reading. We're now going to sing. We're going to sing um, a song says by Thomas Oliver's based on a Hebrew doxology, the God of Abraham prays, who reigns enthroned above, the ancient of eternal days and God of love. So having thought about Abraham and his God and his faith in God, we're going to sing this song. This includes the verse which says, he by himself hath sworn, we on his oath depend, we shall on eagles' wings upborne to heaven ascend. There we shall see his face, his power we shall adore, and sing the wonders of his grace for evermore. So this is one nine nine. <laughs> Thank you. 
sung about Abraham, let's read the, uh, this reference in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 10 to 20. This refers back to the passage we read in Genesis and uh, Vicky's going to read this to us. So thank you so much Vicky for reading. Hebrews 6 verses 10 to 20. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to our all argument. But God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. The passage talked about certainty. It talked about where we can rest our souls, as it were, to find an anchor, to find safety, security and certainty. And we're going to sing a song, number 781, if you're interested in the hymn numbers in the praise book, which in English says, Now I have found the ground wherein my soul's sure, my soul's anchor shall remain. And it's uh, translated by John Wesley, but the original writer was, uh, as I read it in English, called Johann A. Roth. But it might be completely different in the original language. So I put up there the 
first line of the song, or what it's known as in, uh, in German. Uh, the writer was greatly affected by revival in Germany. He was uh, to do with the Moravians, and you remember the Moravians were people who influenced John Wesley. We shall sing number 781. Sunday 
So uh, that song, uh, originally translated from German, says, This is the ground wherein sure my soul's anchor shall remain, the wounds of Jesus for my sin before the world's foundation slain, whose mercy shall unshaken stay when heaven and earth have fled away. So it's very gospel, very much uh, pressing the button of, of how somebody can be a Christian and where their soul depends and where their certainty comes from. So that's really an evangelical gospel song. Well, that's the song. And now we're going to hear what's uh, um, written in Hebrews. So I'll hand over. Well, we're going to come to God's word. So let's pray. God in heaven, please speak to us so that we may receive the strong encouragement that your word has for us. May the speaker receive that encouragement, and may all who hear receive that encouragement in the measure and intensity that you desire. Help us, O Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to think about this passage. It's Hebrews 6 from verse 13 to verse 20. And... Um, I want to introduce this by asking this question about being sure. And let's just think about the idea of being sure and being certain. Just think about that in general, first of all. How can we be sure? Well, <laughs> all sorts of situations. How can we be sure that the Rolex watch that I brought off Amazon for £34.99 is genuine? It seems very cheap for a Rolex watch. How can I be sure that the vaccine is safe. How can I be sure? Well, those are sort of things. Uh, but what, what about people? How can I be sure of people? And when it comes to people, it particularly relates to not just things as they are now, but how they will be, what, what the future holds. So how can I be sure of people? How can I be sure that someone will turn up for the hoped-for meet meeting that they said they would turn up to? So it's there in the diary. I'm going to be there. Are they going to be there? It's a question of time uh, and future time. Um, how can I be sure of the people from whom I bought my £99.99 garment? I sent them the money, but will they actually send the garment? Uh, I'm waiting to see whether that hoped-for garment arrives. I suppose you could put it the other way around as well, but the... Uh, the people who sold the garment are waiting for the payment to arrive. You know, it depends which way around you do it. Uh, there's an agreement, so a handshake a picture there. And, and then a very much more personal thing about the future. How can I trust people? I and mean, here's a particular thing. How can I trust that my husband or wife won't cheat on me in the future? And then you might ask, well, what was the nature of the agreement that there was to begin with. Were they, was there a marriage? Was there a covenant? Was there a commitment in the first place that I can rely on or look to? 
So how can we be sure of things and of people? What are the answers to those sorts of questions? I mean, on Amazon, you perhaps look on the feedback record, the track record. What have other people said about this uh, seller and their wares? So that brings us back to people. What have other people experienced over the course of time? The vaccine. Um, what do people say who've seen and are in a position to um, make a, a judgment on this, people who have evidence of things in action. So you'd be looking for a wide variety of qualified people uh, to act as witnesses, in the sense of witnesses, uh, the credible people that you, you, you have some standing that you can believe what they say. They've got the right experience, they're reliable. Uh, that sort of thing is what you need. That's what the scientific community is supposed to be, isn't it? A community of witnesses that are credible, experienced and reliable. And when it comes to the spouse, well, you'd ask the question, what sort of person are they? What is their track record? What sort of character do they have? And is this a character in which I can trust? And we never get away from the idea of trust, uh, putting faith. Uh, there's always a bit of a risk in faith, isn't there? It's not looking backwards to what's happened. It's looking forwards. How, what shall I trust for the future. And then if you think of the garment seller, uh, well, in the end, you can go back to the law. So we have a Consumer Protection Act. And uh, I don't know, I'm not a legal expert, am I? I'm just using common sense knowledge that we all have. There is a legal system. And there is recourse to the courts of the land. In the end, you could take them to court and say, well, you know, paid for this, where's my garment? So let's take those general thoughts and think, how can we be sure of God? And God does want us to be sure of him. He is not a stuttering God who finds it difficult to express himself. He is a speaking God who says things that we can be sure of. And, uh, for example, he invites us to look at his track record. He says to his Old Testament people and to us, look what I did in Egypt. Uh, that shows the sort of person I am. I redeemed my people from slavery, from Egypt. I took them into the land of promise. I kept them in the desert through those 40 years of wandering. I promised them rest and I gave it to them. And then I showed them that there was actually more rest to come. And I gave them that and that there is still rest to come. And in the New Testament, we have this extra advantage of being able to look back at the cross and the resurrection and to see the love of God, the character of God, the glory of God portrayed uh, at the cross on Golgotha. And we can also see the empty tomb, that action in history which shows who Jesus Christ is. And uh, to be sure, God has given witnesses. You are my witnesses, he said to ancient Israel. You'll see the way I redeem. You'll experience it. You'll be able to tell, tell about it with credibility and experience and reliability. He said it to Israel. And uh, the same thing came to the apostles. You are my witnesses, said Jesus to them. I've chosen you. I'm going to show you things. And it's your job to pass that on with reliability and credibility. And in a secondary sense, Christian people give witness to Jesus Christ, don't we? We talk about a Christian witness uh, and we pass on what we've experienced and known 
um, in our lives. And God shows us the sort of person he is, and in many ways, which I'm not going to go into just now, he, he impresses upon us that, that his particular strengths of character, if I may put it that way, he specialises in chesed and emet, love and faithfulness. That's who he is. He is the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's the sort of person that we can trust. And in my earlier examples, I mentioned recourse to the law, the legal system. And having said those things about God and given that general introduction, this is where we're going to focus this morning on the legal system. So I'll put some scales there to denote the legal system. Now, what sort of things does a legal system have? Now, I'm sure it's, it varies from country to country and system to system, but uh, the, um, the British system, which is the one I'm familiar with, certainly has echoes and um, has uh, had influence uh, across the world in, in lots of ways. So a legal system... There are in the legal system there are serious statements, uh, things said with care, and carefully chosen words, things that you really mean. So we sometimes watch some of these American dramas, uh, uh, criminal dramas, and people get deposed, which I think means you get set in front of a camera to say statements, a deposition, something that you really have thought about, you're really careful what you've said, and you really mean it, and you stand by it. And I, I think uh, we have something, an affidavit, again I'm not an expert on this, but an affidavit is surely something you've written down, it's reliable, and uh, you can sign it, have it witnessed, this is what I mean, this is what I saw, uh, this is my commitment, and I stand by this. So the legal system depends on these serious statements. And just taking that thought a little bit further, if you go into a court, you swear on oath. I think I've got a little picture of somebody holding up their hand and swearing on oath. Raise your hand, hold the Bible, raise your hand and repeat after me. I declare that the testimony I shall give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Is that what they still say? I don't know. But... The point being that here is somebody about to speak and they're sworn in. They swear on oath to tell the truth. Now they're saying something quite special and they're involving something. They're involving themselves in something quite serious when they swear on oath. I mean, it, let's say it's a murder trial, so somebody's life or death could hang on the truthfulness and the accuracy and the completeness of such a statement. And you notice it's made in the presence of God. So in swearing like this, the person is saying, well, if, if I'm telling the wrong thing, I expose myself explicitly to the full penalty of the higher power before whom I speak, upon whom I depend, was what I was going to say, before whom I speak. I'm speaking conscious that a higher power is, is watching and listening and if I've got it wrong, that, that higher power, I give them permission to visit on me the penalty for my wrong speech. And here's another thing in a legal system, a dispute resolution. So uh, you bought something off eBay for £99.99 or we bought something from an online 
seller uh, and I uh, paid the money but I've got no garment. So the dispute resolution has to establish these facts. Did you pay the money? Well, we can check. Did you receive the garment? No. Okay. Well, if that's the case, the, the seller must refund you. Now, you know there are weaknesses in that system because you could just imagine, now you wouldn't do this, but you could imagine that the, the buyer says, uh, I didn't receive the garment. Well, actually, they did. It does depend on some leverage that the buyer is honest, in this case, saying, I didn't receive the garment. And I suppose that depends on the sort of society you have, whether people are generally inclined to tell the truth, whether they have a conscience about this, whether, whether it's society, a society that respects uh, there being a higher authority and people a little bit conscious of the need to tell the truth. And I guess if there's uh, a society that doesn't have much respect for a higher authority, that people might try and get away with that. Anyway bit of an introduction about a legal context. Now, the passage in front of us has, is full of legal vocabulary. Now, I found this out by looking in the commentaries, uh, and I, I think the, the guy who wrote the commentary knew what he was saying. There was lots of evidence for it. He backed it up with lots of references. So what legal um, vocabulary have we got here? So first off, verse 13 this idea of swearing. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one great of him to swear by, he swore by himself. That's verse 13. So there's a swearing. And in verse 16, men swear by someone greater than themselves. Uh, so swearing in verse 16 and uh, in verse 17, isn't it? Um, or perhaps I've got the verses mixed up. Because God wanted to make the unchanging of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Well, I picked up on oath there, and we'll come back to that word in a minute. Yeah, there we are, the, the word oath. So uh, swearing and oath, two related thoughts and indeed related words, legal vocabulary. Uh, and let's just uh, focus on this a little bit more clearly clearly it, he doesn't just say swear he says swear by so the, uh, in verse 13 there was no one great of him to swear by he swore by himself and in verse 16 men people swear by someone greater than themselves so this idea of swearing by someone or something and um, I'm going to just pause a little bit. I've got some more things to say about legal vocabulary, but let's just uh, um, pause a little bit and um, say, what's the difference between swearing and saying? So I'm just going to pause for a minute. I'm uh, going to come back to legal vocabulary, but let's just stop on this matter. What's the difference between swearing and saying? Now, God said in verse 14, he said something, but he said it in the fashion of swearing an oath. Now, what's the difference between swearing and saying? It seems to me that swearing, in this technical sense, involves calling upon a higher authority. And it call, it's calling upon a higher authority with the consciousness that they can exact a penalty if what is said 
under oath is incorrect. So you promise to somebody, uh, I promise I will buy you a coffee next time we meet, but you swear by somebody, uh, I swear by almighty God that the statement I shall make is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So you invoke this higher power. Uh, so there's somebody holding up their hand to, to swear. And I think also a swear, to swear in a sense, has the poss possibility or a, a degree of linkage with the idea of curse. Uh, so there are a number of places in the Bible where somebody says something of an oath nature uh, and it involves a curse. So Eli says to Samuel, may God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if, if you don't tell me what God said to you. So he's sort of calling a curse on in the form of this oath. Ruth, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything separates you and me. So she's making an oath of commitment, but making it in the sense that may there be a, a, a bad penalty on me from God if I don't keep it. The time when King Saul rashly swore an oath uh, and bound his soldiers by an oath that nobody should eat anything until a certain phase of the battle had been reached. And the soldiers said to Jonathan, your father bound the army under an oath. It was oathed the army under an oath. It was one of these duplications of the word, you know, an oath squared, saying, cursed be any man who eats food today. So again, an oath linked with a curse. And here's the thought that when God swears, which is what he does here, he binds himself by the highest possible authority, which is himself. And he puts himself in line for his own curse if there is default. In swearing, as it were, God calls on himself the curses that he could bring if he were to default on what he is swearing. It's quite a thought, isn't it? So we've just stopped to think about um, swearing an oath. We were looking at legal vocabulary in the passage, and let's carry on with that. So um, it says in verse 16, it puts an end to all argument. And I'm told that this is actually a technical term, a disputation, a legal disputation, you know, a tribunal, that this, or whatever it might be, that this matter, this procedure is the end of such uh, dispute resolution. You actually get to the end of it and settle it through this method. And then there is here. The, um, in verse 16, the oath confirms what is said, or in a more clunky way, unto confirmation the oath. Uh, and this, again, I'm told, is a, is a legal wording. This is the legal guarantee that would be used you know, by a signed a contract, and it would say at the bottom, unto confirmation of this oath, da-da-da. So, again, this, this is saying you can be sure in this legal fashion. And uh, in verse 17, it says he, uh, let me just see, what does it say? 
um, in verse 17. He confirmed it with an oath. So another couple of words here. Uh, the, the confirm word, word is translated confirm, usually means to step in and mediate. But in, when it's used in this connection, it means to intervene, to settle the matter with an oath, to intervene to settle the matter with an oath. And in verse uh, 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. So again, that, uh, that, that uh, to make something clear, uh, in normal speech would just be to show, but in legal terms, it is to, to make such an argument as to make something crystal clear, to actually set this out in totally clear watertight terms and uh, that so i'm told is the uh, the thought behind this expression in verse 17 god wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to make clear and then uh, another legal term uh, unchangeability so we have it in verse 17 the unchangeable nature of his purpose or the unchangeability of his his will and then in verse 18, you get two unchangeable things. So again, technical language, immutability, irrevocable. Something you put in a contract that nobody can come back later and renegotiate. Nobody can come back later and say, oh, I didn't really mean that, or we're not going to bother with that, or annul it. You can't do that. Uh, as I might have said the other time, uh, just... It, inherited something from my auntie and it is possible to change that so that it could be uh, reassigned to to my heirs so that could be changed and uh, hopefully the solicitor won't charge too much for doing it but uh, this says god you know this is unchangeable this is irrevocable there's nothing that you can change here uh, i'm just reminded of the the what i think was a very ignoble move by the British government during the Brexit negotiations to say we've signed up to something under international law but we're going to change it and when you start doing that I mean it just removes credibility doesn't it but God says I'm not going to do that I'm not going to change these particular things these are things I've sworn to God will not re renegotiate his purposes or the purposes that he's, he's swearing to here are of that particular nature that they're not going to be renegotiated, not going to be annulled, not going to be wriggled out of. God says, this is it, signed on the dotted line. So what are these two unchangeable things? The two unchangeable things. Um, now, I'm going a bit off on my own here because I haven't found this in the books but I'd like to suggest that we have the oath to Abraham and we're going to come to Melchizedek very soon. And maybe that is the second unchangeable oath type thing. So we had to Abraham, uh, which was read to us and we'll come to that in due course. Multi uh, blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply you. But we do have another oath, which is in Psalm 110 to Melchizedek, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
And that's something, isn't it? God is saying this isn't just something that might possibly happen and there's a bit of a hint of this. And But he's saying this is a definite thing. Here is something you can really hang your soul on. There will be such a priest. Uh, I'm not going to change my mind on this. So a couple of things there about an unchangeable oath. And lastly, as we're thinking about the legal context of this vocab- uh, of this passage, uh, perhaps I'm stretching this a little bit, but I, it seems to me that there's a place of legal appeal mentioned here. So we'll, in, in the uh, English system, I believe we have a Supreme Court like the Americans have. It used to be the House of Lords, but I think now we have the Supreme Court. I'm sure somebody can correct me on that. But uh, this is a place that you go to this is your final hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Anyway, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. A hope, an anchor, uh, and again some words here, firm and secure. Firm is a negative, it doesn't fail. It's not like something that gives way, it does not give way, it's firm and it's secure, and that's another confirmation word, reliable. You can depend on this with your entire soul. You can rest your life on these promises. And, of course, the place that he's referring to uh, is not anywhere on earth. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It takes place in heaven. So we've just uh, tried to fairly briefly go through and see the legal background and the legal vocabulary here. And we conclude from this brief survey that God is, in this passage, saying something in a very definite and very insistent way. And he's saying that uh, the things that he has said, the contract that he is discussing, the promises that he is making are made with the greatest possible seriousness and can be completely relied on and won't be wiggled or wriggled out of. And so much so, says God, that the highest power in the universe, the highest court in the universe is called in to adjudicate in this case. There is nothing more certain. There, there is no contract more definite than this, because the very highest, the very highest authority in the universe is called upon uh, in this case. And the thing is, it involves us. I got a letter from my solicitor this morning, came in quite a different sort of envelope. I thought, oh, this looks a little bit tough. I wonder what this is. I was wondering if it's a traffic violation. Anyway, I opened it. It was a, a, a letter from my solicitor to me. And uh, it's unusual, isn't it? Because usually you write letters to solicitors. Why don't you get on and do so-and-so? But here the solicitor's writing to me, dear Philip. And this contractual um, discussion is aimed at us. It involves us. Something has taken place and is taking place in the courts of heaven, which involves us. So now I'm going to do a Tim Keller thing and uh, just try and bring it all together in three things so what am I to be sure of how can I be sure and where can I be sure it's not quite as good as Tim Keller is it but it's uh, after the style of what can I be sure of how can I be sure and where can I be sure so let's try and wrap this 
this up by looking at those things. So what am I to be sure of? What promises and commitments and contracts are we actually talking about? Well, in verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. It was a promise consisting uh, concerning many descendants. And if you look back, which is what we read earlier, through your seed, all the nations on earth will be blessed. That's a definite thing. All the nations on the earth will be blessed. And there will be many descendants, not a few. Or as we've got it here, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. Blessing and multiplication. And we're told that Abraham received that after waiting and testing. Well, he certainly waited uh, because the particular context of it was the birth of Isaac and the offering of Isaac. So uh, that was certainly testing and that was certainly waiting. And through the process of waiting and testing, Abraham received, well, a degree of the promise. He didn't receive the whole thing. And what I want to say is that in that promise, not just terminating on Abraham in his lifetime, but going on into the future, on globally, in, in an explosive fulfilment, this is the promise that catches us up. If we belong to Jesus Christ, this is the promise that has swept us into, into its purposes. This is the promise that we're believing this is the exact promise that comes to believers through Christian, through, through Jesus Christ. This is Christian salvation he's talking about. And without wishing to go too far off track, this is what Paul says about this. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive, and he says it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's more than that as well. But this is Christian salvation. And he says, this is what we're talking about here. This is the thing that you can be certain of. How can I be sure? How can I be sure? Well, what I want to say is in verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. See, it wasn't just... Abraham that was meant to be sure. Well, God, Abraham was the person listening and God promised to Abraham. But the writer here says it doesn't just affect Abraham. It affects the heirs, the followers of Abraham, those who are children of Abraham. And plural, heirs of what was promised. And it says, and we thought quite a bit about the, the structure of this sentence, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He abundantly wanted, he super, he really, really, really wanted to make this abundantly clear to the heirs of salvation, uh, crystal clear to us if we are believers. So insert your own name in the contract there. He wants to make it abundantly clear, believer, to you. Put your own name in there. He wants you to understand this and to be in no doubt about it whatsoever. That 
we are heirs if we believe the promises in the same process as Abraham via waiting and testing. If we are believing through waiting and testing, we are heirs of that promise. And he says, don't doubt it. I want to make this abundantly clear. I don't want there to be any room for doubt. And you see, well, learning to trust God is a lifelong experience, isn't it? There's so many things that put us off trusting God. So many things that fog us up in the brain department uh, and in the faith department. Our circumstances. Well, how can God be for me? How can God be promising me anything for my circumstances? Look at what we've all been through. How can God be promising me anything? Look at my sin. Look at what I've done in my life. Look at the, even the sin that still dwells within me now. And uh, sight. Look, look, look what I can see. Uh, what I can see on the surface of things it, it, in, in just about every department I look. There's something which uh, just puts me off believing that God really means what he says. And this says, I want you to be abundantly clear. How sure can we be? Very sure. Now let's come to another answer to this question. How sure can I or we be? It's uh, verse 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. I just want to think about that. greatly encouraged. What it actually says is to have strong encouragement. And that strong is a sort of strength word. You know, it's a sort of working out word, you know, training with weights word, that sort of strength, strength. And God says, I don't want just to express sympathy with you. I mean, God is sympathetic. And he says, I, I know what you've been through. I know what it's like. But he's not just saying, oh, yeah, I know what it's like. He's not just commiserating and sitting down next to you and saying, um, yeah, awful, isn't it? He's not just commiserating, but he is offering strong encouragement. This is sort of muscle encouragement. This is steel cable encouragement. This is reinforced concrete under your feet encouragement. This is strong coffee encouragement. This is stimulus encouragement so that we may have strong encouragement. And the encouragement is the uh, paraclesis word, uh, getting by your side, uh, not just to put an arm round, although that's a great thing that the Lord puts his arm round us, um, but who says, yeah, now, come on, make strong those uh, wobbly knees and, uh, and weak ankles, get up, press on, fight on, um, strong encouragement. And um, we, yeah, we need strong encouragement, don't we? Because we, each of us could say, well, here's my story. Here's the life I have. Here's the life I've had. And you just fill in a blank here you say, oh, look at my background. Uh, look, at, look, at, look at the family that I started off with. Uh, look at the sins that uh, I've had done to me or the sins I've done to other people. Look at the bad experiences I've had. Uh, look at the disappointments I've, I've lived with. Look at all the letdowns. 
I mean, those are negative things. You could be saying, actually, I've lots of positive things in my life. But it's the negative things that get to us, isn't it? Uh, and we could go all through those and, and, and say, well, that's, you know, that's the situation. And God says, OK, well, I'm not going to argue with you about those things. But I want you to know, I want you to absolutely sure that not a single one of those things affects the depth and certainty of my promises to you in the slightest. None of those things affects the depth and certainty of my promises to you in the slightest. I want you to have strong encouragement and be abundantly clear on this. So how sure can I be? I don't know whether I mispronounced it earlier. How sure can I be? Um, where can I be sure? Where can I be sure? Well, certainty has a place where the buck stops. Um, let me just try and explain what I mean by that. Uh, <clears throat> so something's gone wrong in your purchase on eBay, on your online purchase or something like that. You say, well, what can I do about this? And you look on the website, the bit where it said terms and conditions that you just clicked through and you said yes without reading. You go back and read them. And uh, you say, okay, now, I'm sure this can be sorted because it says it on the website. And the website has a, a link to the Dispute Resolution Centre. And the Dispute Resolution Centre is under the law of, well, it used to be the EU, but now it's going to be the, e, uh, the UK, isn't it? And the law of the UK is linked to, well, where it used to be the House of Lords, I think it's now the Supreme Court. Somebody will put me right there. And I have a chain that I can follow through and the end I can get justice. If I can't get it here or here or here, I'll get it here. And you will find me on my knees outside the House of Lords or the Supreme Court saying to my lawyers, you get in there and I'm counting on you to uphold my case in the highest court of the land. And that's where my hope is. That's where the solid ground is under my feet. That's where my anchor is. And for the believer, uh, we're told that it's not the Supreme Court or whatever court it is, but it's in verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, so it's our anchor, our final place where we rest our case is outside this world. It's in inside the curtain in the holy temple in heaven. It's at the right hand of God. That's where Melchizedek is, isn't it? Um, um, sit at my right hand. And my lawyer, my advocate is the priest king, also known as Melchizedek. And this is Jesus, my forerunner, my advocate, gone into heaven for me. Where can I be sure? I can be sure where Christ is at the right hand of God. Well, uh, that's our thoughts on Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. And uh, I'm always ready for that question. Did he say anything this morning? What did he say? Did he say anything this morning? Well, I think he did say something this morning.
uh, well, or to be more precise, the passage says something. God is saying something. And he's saying to the waverer, oh, wavering, shall I, shan't I? Or is this for me or not? You can't be sure of God's promises in love for you. Believe them. You can be abundantly sure. This is confirmed stuff. There is nothing surer than this. And this passage speaks to the downcast. You can be sure of God's purposes in love in Christ for you. Oh, yeah, you feel low and down. And, uh, and God says, I totally understand that. And the Lord Jesus, who feels for us, says, I totally understand that. But that is not an excuse for not believing the promises of God. You can and should be sure of God's purposes in love in Christ for you. And even to the guilty conscience, the person saying, Do you know, my sins just come home to me and I feel foul and disappointed and conscience struck. And uh, like in the prodigal son, the, the, the father waits for the sinner to turn back. Yeah, come back turn again, get back up, you can be sure of God's purposes in love, in Christ, for you. You can be sure. Amen. Well, we've heard God's word, and let's pick up that theme of uh, an anchor. Let's pick up that theme of solid hope. Let's pick up that theme of trust in the name of Jesus. The, the song we're going to sing is 779. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but holy trust in Jesus' name. His oath, his covenant and his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And it also says, In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds and will not fail. Great song to close with, number 779.
Let's close with a prayer. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Good to be together, even in this uh, peculiar way, but I'll just now say goodbye. Goodbye from me. Bye. <laughs>